I want to speak to you today on a very dirty word, a word that has become, it's not actually dirty, but has become dirty in the church today because nobody wants to talk about it. Now, that's not the case necessarily in our church. It's a word that we use quite often, but I wanted to apply it this morning to you men as we are gathered here together. And why do I do this? Well, the word that I'm talking about is the word repentance. Repentance has become a dirty word among many evangelical churches because it makes people uncomfortable, but yet it is the command of God from the beginning of the scriptures to the end. And the whole thrust of my message this morning is I believe that men ought to be the chief repenters in our homes. I believe that men ought to be the chief repenters in our churches. Men, we have a responsibility to model for our families how the gospel works itself out in our lives. We need to be examples in this way of repenting from sin and running towards God and leading our families in repentance as well. Our families are only going to be as strong as we are. And our churches are only going to be as strong as our men. God has given leadership of our families to men. And God has given leadership to the local church to men. And so I'm challenging you this morning to be a man. I'm challenging you this morning to be a biblical man and to take upon the call of God upon your lives and to take seriously your um, membership in this local body as a man. What does it mean to be a biblical man? Now, I know some of you were at the Sound Men's Conference that we did last fall with the Gospel Forum, and so there was a lot of good things there, but I'm not going to rehash that talk here this morning. Um, but I just want to talk about what this topic of repentance is and what it means for our lives as men and what we must do from here. First of all, we need to define what repentance is. Repentance has um, gotten a bad Um, rap and bad definition by many in the church. Um, And the reason we're talking about this is because the scriptures is clear. Because God is God, he has commanded all men to repent everywhere. That's what the apostle Paul says in the book of Acts. And this word is in the Old Testament repeatedly, and it's in the New Testament. It's not something that the apostles invented or, or uh, created. It's a, it's a word that God himself uses as he commands men to repent. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for repent literally means to turn or to return. Um, for example, it, the word implies that you are heading one direction and it's the wrong direction. Right? I'm sure many of you people, have men have been lost. I know you won't admit it <laughs> as you drive around town in different places, but uh, it's okay to admit it. <laughs> uh, you've been lost and you've had to say, I'm going the wrong way. So what do you have to do? You have to turn around and go the right way. Well, this is essentially that what the Hebrew word means in the Old Testament. It's to turn or to return to where you were supposed to come from. And of course, the returning would be to God. The Greek word used in the New Testament is this word metanoia, which is translated as repentance in the New Testament. And it literally means, in the most basic form, a change of mind. A change of mind. So essentially, what we're talking about here, men, is um, 
The one thought about the word repentance in the scripture is this. Repentance involves a change. That's what it is. Repentance involves a change. Changing what? Changing your direction and changing your mind. So changing your direction in the Old Testament, God commanded Israel to return to him, right? They were his covenant people. They had drifted off into idols, into mixing with the nations and, and um, doing things against the law of God. And God says, change your direction, return to me. And of course, in the New Testament, it's men about changing our minds. And the question becomes, what do we change, right? What do we change? What has God commanded us to change? Change our direction from what? Um, changing our minds about what? And the obvious answer is sin, right? Sin. And repentance is just that. It's changing our minds and our direction from the sin that entangles us. And to return or turn to God and change our minds about how we feel about God, how we, what we know about ourselves and what we know about Christ and what the sin does to us. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for your sins and then staying the same course. Some people confuse repentance as remorse. Like, oh, I feel bad about that. Well, some people just feel bad they got caught. That's not repenting. If you stay in the same path that you were before, you have not truly repented. If you feel sorry you got caught, then you're not repenting. You're just thinking the same way about your sin that you did before. But to repent means to change your mind. That leads to death. That disappoints God. That sin was what was leading me to hell. But now I'm changing my mind about that because Christ died for me. Christ lives for me. And now I could say no to sin and turn to God. I'm changing my mind because we get into these traps. And I know you've been there. Maybe you said... And maybe even dealing with this issue of lust, which many men deal with, right? Or pornography or something like that. And you say, oh, I've struggled with this my whole life. I guess this is the way I'm always going to be. And you start making excuses for your sin and you start rationalizing where you are. And so, Well, that's just who I am, right? I'm always going to struggle with looking at other women the way I'm not supposed to. No. See, that's just making excuses for your sin, what we, God has commanded us to do is what? To not just feel sorry about it and make excuses, but to actually change. And this is a command of God. And this change is not found in you. This change is not power that you can summon to resist sin and temptation. And this is the grace of the glory of the gospel. That repentance is The work of God in your life. Now think about that. God commands you to repent, but then it is God who does the work in you that causes you to repent. It's a grace of God. That's what repentance is. I would say it this way. Uh, Repentance is the fruit of the gospel working in the heart of a sinner, which causes them to change their mind and hearts about God, sin, and the direction they are going. That's what it is. It's the fruit of the gospel. When you plant a seed in the ground, let's say we're wanting to plant a mango tree. You plant the mango seed in the ground or in the pot or whatever you're going to do. Alan Waters can tell you more about that. He likes to plant things. Um, How you know it's a legitimate seed, how you know it's a legitimate mango 
tree is why. Eventually, it grows. And it'll grow leaves that look like mango leaves, right? And eventually, after, I don't know, four or five years, Alan, you'll get some mangoes, right? Once the tree matures. The, the fruit, the mango, is evidence that the seed actually was true and legitimate. Well, this is what repentance is. Repentance is the fruit of the gospel. How do we know that the gospel really has taken a hold of your heart? How do we know that you've truly been born again? Because God has planted the seed of regeneration in your heart, given you his spirit, and in, in time, over time, there is repentance that happens. Where you once were loving sin, where you once were making excuses for your sin and wanting to sin, now, because of the gospel bearing its fruit in your heart, repentance shows itself and God gives you the power to change. That's what repentance is. It's a work of God bearing fruit in your heart. And this is the consistent message of the Bible. From the Old Testament to Jesus to the apostles, and every biblical church today which preaches it. For example, in the Old Testament, God tells Jeremiah this, Turn now, Jeremiah 25, 5, Turn now, and that's that word for repent in the Old Testament. It's translated here, turn. Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you, and to your fathers from of old, and forever. The word turn there is the Hebrew word for repent. Israel is heading this way. God says, no, that's not what I've commanded you. That's not what the covenant says. Turn from your evil and live in the land under covenant blessings and covenant relationship that I have. Live underneath my law, not your own. So God commanded Israel to repent, Judah to repent, and we know what happened when they didn't, right? We've been going through the book of Daniel. We know Babylon came in and destroyed them. And we know the Assyrians came in to destroy the northern kingdom. There's consequences when we don't repent because sin always has a price, right? The wages of sin is death. But the grace of God is that God has commanded people to repent and there can be grace and forgiveness and mercy in him. Repent. Repentance was the message of John the Baptist. When he begins his uh, ministry here in the book of Luke chapter 3, Luke is, uh, I mean, John the Baptist, of course, was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was paving the road. And how was he getting ready people for the Messiah to come? How was he getting ready? In Luke chapter 3, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's a real seeker-sensitive message, right, that John the Baptist had. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's speaking here to the Jewish people gathered around him. They had come to be baptized by John, but they were still living in their sin. They had not repented. They were not showing um, holy lives or a commitment to, uh, to the Messiah or, or, to, or to John's teachings. And John called them what? Vipers. Now, what's a viper? Viper is a poisonous snake, right? And I believe John called them that because what they believed was deadly. What they believed was that they could come to God without forsaking their sins, without turning from their sins. 
And John says, you brood of vipers. You want to be baptized? Yeah, first bear fruits of repentance. John says, I'm not going to baptize you until you show me that the truth in your heart is real and that you are actually living for God and have been changed by God. The Jews believed they could live any way they want because they were God's people. And God was going to love them and forgive them, and it was okay. And John says, if that's what you're using on your resume, then don't you know that God is able to make a whole other people from these rocks? Don't take that as an excuse to not repent of your sins. So it's the message of John the Baptist. And what was he doing? Paving the way for Christ to come because this is the message of Jesus as well. And look at the words that John uses there. Keep fruits of repentance. There's that word fruit there. You see, again, there's always an evidence. Have you repented? Well, the question is, where is the fruit in your life? Who were you before you repented and who are you now? Right? And repentance is not just something you externally do. Repentance is something that is inside, that manifests itself on the outside. And the manifestations of repentance is that fruit of repentance, of turning from sin and living for God, loving God. Before you didn't have a desire for God, but now that you're born again, now you do. And there it is. There should be some evidence that you have repented. And men, I'm asking you today, as your pastor, as a brother in Christ, what are the fruits of your repentance? Examine your heart. Examine your life. Are you in Christ? Is your life the same or worse than you were before you supposedly came to Christ as your Savior? Where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Where's your heart? Where's your love for God? Where's your obedience to His Word? None of those things save you, but they're signs that you have been saved. Again, this is not just the message of the Old Testament, of John the Baptist, but also of our Savior as well. The first thing Jesus said after He was baptized was repentance. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Mark records for us, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the words of our Savior. You want to believe the gospel? It comes with repentance. You see, many churches and pastors today preach this easy believism that there's no repentance of sin required. Just say a little magic words, say in Jesus' name at the end, come to church and you're going to heaven. That's not the way it works, friends. You believe in Jesus Christ, giving him allegiance as the master and Lord and Savior and King, and you believe in his gospel, which is what? Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again from the grave. And because he is God that I must give myself over to him. He is my sovereign. He is my king. Here's Jesus preaching repentance at the very beginning of his ministry, calling people to forsake their sins, to change their minds about who God is, who he is, and who uh, they are. And then also, after the resurrection, Jesus continues with this theme of repentance. After the resurrection... In Luke chapter 24, when he meets the two disciples on the road, on Emmaus, Luke, chap- Luke 24, he said to them, in verse 46, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So it's the message of the Old Testament, the message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus, and of course, the message of the apostles. And the New Testament tells us that our faith is founded upon these apostles, founded because it was them whom Christ has commissioned to go spread the gospel and build his church and to make disciples of which we are domino effect over the last 2,000 years. In Acts chapter 2, 38, on the day of Pentecost, what does Peter preach? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said, Repent, speaking to all the Jews gathered in Jerusalem, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was the message of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, For they themselves report concerning us the reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here is Peter and Paul both preaching repentance, just like Jesus did, just like John the Baptist did, just like the prophets did, and just like the Lord delivered the command in the Old Testament. Obviously, when we think about repentance, we think about this is something an unsaved person has to do, right? Repent and believe the gospel. Of course, that's true. They need to turn from their sinful ways and obey God, receive Christ as Savior, believe Him uh, in what He did for them, and, that they're, and trust Him fully alone for salvation. And all that's a work of God from within. When the gospel is preached to a lost person, God awakens their heart, their heart they become a Christian. But how do you know what happened to them was real? How do you know that what happened to that person who said they believed was real? Again, there's always a change that has to happen. If there's no change in the person, then their salvation is not legitimate or true. It's just words that they said or something that they maybe affirmed um, intellectually, but not from within their heart. True trust in Christ alone. However, and this is, again, where I bring it down to our men in our church, repentance is not just for becoming a Christian. Repentance, repentance is for every day of the Christian life. And men, I don't know all of you and all about you, but I know that like me, I can guarantee you that you sin every day. Why? Because the Bible says it. All of us sin every day. Repentance is not just to be saved, but repentance is a continual part of the Christian life. We don't just repent once and done, but the scriptures command us that our lives are to be marked by repentance as the fruits of our salvation. And this is actually how Martin Luther, if you think back with me, 1517, when he nailed the 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, the very first Theses of those 95. Number one, what is it? This is what Luther writes. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So, men, when we as Christians, when we say that we need to repent every day, we are not saying you need to get saved again, 
right? We don't get sa- we get saved and justified one time. We don't repent for our justification again, but we must repent for our sanctification. That is the process of God making us holy and growing us in him. This is repentance that we're seeking. And how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we repent for our growth? How do we repent because we're Christian? I think every day of our lives, man, and I say every day. Every day. You put your head on your pillow at night to go to sleep. If you're like me, you're out in 30 seconds. So maybe do it before that. Every day of our lives, we need to examine our hearts to see if there's any sin that lurks within us. We need to confess that sin to God, knowing what it did to Christ. We must remember the gospel of God and the forgiveness that is already ours. And we need to make a change of action that leads to that sin not reappearing and for us falling in that same trap again. And depending on what those things are, that needs to be lived out and fleshed out in different ways. But we need to make a change. We need to have our affections transformed by Christ. And this is where we go to having men in our church. How can we have a strong church if we have weak men? It's impossible. We must be strong men. And how we become strong men is we are repenting men. We are men who are leading our families and our homes and our churches in holiness and in godliness, knowing and not sweeping sin underneath the rug. And also putting our pride to the side and repenting in front of our wife. I know that's hard to do, right? We don't like to be, admit that we're wrong. But if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we're going to care for her soul. We're going to put that aside and say, my pride, God, crucify that. And let me show my wife what true fruits of repentance looks like. And lead her like you're supposed to. Lead her as you ought to. Again, how can we have a strong church if the men of our church are not leading because they're not repenting? Repent in front of your children. That's a hard one. We blow it as parents, don't we? We blow it as fathers. This is something I've had to swallow my pride. I had to go to, I've had to go to my children many times. And say, you know, dad was wrong. You know, I acted in anger when I was trying to help you. I said the wrong words. I I, I did something I wasn't supposed to. I, I need to repent of that. Christ forgives me. Will you forgive me? Show them and model to them repentance. That's how you lead your family, men. In the word of God, but also practically speaking, Modeling it. Strong men repent. Strong men turn from sin. Strong men's lives are characterized by the gospel. So I ask you, how does repentance look like in your life? How does repentance look like in your home? And how does it look like in our church? How will God ever bless our church if we have men clinging on to their sin How will God ever bless our church if we love our sins more than Christ? Which could be a very evidence and fruit that maybe some men in our church don't even know Christ 
And instead of repenting for sanctification, they need to repent for salvation because they've never been saved to begin with. And I say that as your pastor, who I think there's many men in churches today that have the excuse that their morality can take them to heaven. And they're going to be greatly finding out that that is insufficient. So knowing that God has commanded us to repent, knowing that God has commanded us to lead our families and to lead our churches, what will you do? What will you do? Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never trusted him fully and repented of your sins. There's been no evidence of your faith and trust in him. Then today, trust in Christ who was crucified as your substitute and was raised on the third day. That's the only way to heaven, men. It's the only way. Perhaps you're a man who is repeatedly falling into sin and pornography or to lust or to greed or to pride or whatever the action is. Let the last time you did that be the last time. Stop making excuses and repent. And lead a strong life that God may bless you your family, and our church. Sin has a devastating effect in our homes, a devastating effect in our church, and we need to crucify it as soon as it pops up before these ugly roots have any chance to plant itself and root itself within us. And so when we have repenting men, when we have strong men, we will have leaders in our church. We need men to lead by example, not only in repenting, but also in serving. Men, can I tell you something? The women should not be the first people to volunteer for things in our church. That's wicked. Not that they're serving great, praise God, but where's the men? God, give us strong men. We have strong women. They're the first ones to do many of the first things. But God, give us strong men who say, I'll step up, I'll serve, I'll volunteer, I'll lead by example. Because this is what God has called us to do. We thank God for our ladies, but we need men to lead us. We need men to serve. We need men to be what God has called them to be. God has called us to lead. Let us lead to those Offices the New Testament gives us deacons and elders. Now, not all of you men are qualified to be a deacon or an elder, but some of you might be. And I'm going to ask you right now, the first 10 years of my ministry here at Northwest Baptist Church has been all about building a strong theological foundation. I believe we're on the path and we've, making some, we've made some good strides over 10 years. And I think we're in a much better position now than we were 10 years ago. And I'm thankful for God for that. Over the next 10 years, I pray to God, what's the next 10 years going to look like for as long as God has me here? The next 10 years, I want to devote in developing and assessing and training godly, strong men. That's my passion over the next 10 years. That's my call as your pastor. Over the next 10 years, I want this men's ministry to be dripping with the word of God. 
with men that are having godliness produced in their lives. And perhaps among you men, we need to identify who could be qualified and called to the office of elder. It is my desire to have a plurality of elders in our church. Elder is another word for pastor, as you know. Not a staff pastor, but lay pastors that could shepherd and help lead God's people in holiness. And also, we need deacons. Deacons are servants of God. They're not board members. They're servants that serve the church. This is who deacons are. And so over the next 10 years, I want to develop a, an elder training program to assess and train and build those, up, those men up who could serve this congregation as elders. And also, the same for deacons. I want to start a deacon training program to assess and call and train deacons to serve God's people with the physical needs of the body. Man, this is my heart. I hope you hear it. And I hope you're not going to check out because you've done your time. You're still breathing. You're still alive. Your heart's still beating. God wants you to lead his church. We need you. We need you. Strong men, sound men, leading men, repenting men, saved men, growing men. Let's, take the, let's get some initiative. Let's go. Let's not let the women lead the way. Let us be the first to stand up and charge and go into battle. And we're in a war. We're in a war in our culture. We're in a war in our society. And we can't stay on the sidelines and play games. Who will stand and fight with us? That's what I'm praying for God, for you. Let's pray. Oh, God, help us. Thank you for these men. Thank you for the gospel. Oh, Lord, my heart breaks for, for even one man or two men or whoever is here that doesn't know you. That they would truly repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Oh, God, break our hearts over the lost even the lost who are among us. Draw them by your Holy Spirit and show them the truth of your word. And God, I pray for the men of our church to take the initiative, to take the leadership, to be men of the word, holy men, godly men, who serve Christ and lead by example. We need them, God. We need them. In Jesus' name.